Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Star Spangled Eurovision. This is our final episode for this season, our special annual debrief episode. My name's Max. I'm here with my lovely co-hosts, Bart and Alex. Hello. You gonna say hi, Alex? Or... Sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> ah, the love, uh, the amazingness of Zoom calls. Anyway, we have some very special guests here today. Uh, we are welcoming to the show Connor and Adam from the Amerivision podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks for joining. Hey. Everyone. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure we have a lot of overlapping listeners, but maybe for some of the, our listeners who don't know you guys, can you tell us a little bit uh, about yourselves and the podcast? Little interest? Yeah. So um, Adam and I came up with the idea of doing a podcast um, in the early months of 2019, uh, mostly just because we share a lot of differing opinions on Eurovision. Um, very rarely do we agree. And when it, we do, it's Actually, it's like a unicorn in the forest. Um, so we shared a lot of opinions back and forth, and we decided to just start start a medium where we could just talk about that in kind of a public forum space. So um, we we really centered in on the fact that we do a lot of every Eurovision Ever episodes. So Adam and I will go back through and just pick a random contest and watch through it, take notes, review all of the songs, and kind of just do like a little bit of a historical backwalk through through old uh, seasons of of the contest. Um, so in between, that's when we started to do kind of more of the podcast podcasty things. So um, that's pretty much what we do. Um, we do content. I think we are at eighteen episodes now. So just wrapping up season one, um, and then hopefully season two will start sometime in the coming months. Awesome. Well, I will encourage all of you listeners, if you don't already listen to AmeriVision, to take a listen. And it's really cool. And so thank you guys again for joining. We're excited to have you on. And together, we'll all be discussing the events of Eurovision week. Um, so we had a lot of content this week from all different sources. But uh, I guess the logical place to start is with the sort of official EBU content. So earlier in the week, when the semifinals would have aired on Tuesday and Thursday, the EBU did a kind of live stream where they presented the uh, semifinal act in the original running order, and then also the the uh, Big Five in Netherlands that would have you know performed in that semifinal where we got a, would have gotten the previews for those acts. So what did you, what did you guys uh, think of the broadcast? So I think that this was a good way to give that attention to to the songs because that was one of my biggest concerns about Eurovision Week was you know, there was an absence of programming to really celebrate these artists. And so I think this was a fun way to have done it and to kind of draw people in because of the fact that they were revealing the semifinal running order that way. I do think that the YouTuber reaction section was a little bit weird because, and, and, and this might've just been the editing, but they only aired positive comments for all 41 songs. Like, all of the YouTubers had nothing but nice things to say about every single song. Um, so I don't know how truthful they were being, or again, if it was the editing, but that one for me was a little shaky. Um, I do think that they should keep those, those fan reaction or the fan recap rather. Um, I think it'd be really creative and interesting to see. Um, Cause I mean, we do like three recaps, I think per voting sequence. So honestly, it wouldn't be that difficult to just create you know, one of those three as a fan recap. Um, I think that that'd be a more interesting way to do the recap because let's face it, no one watches the second or third one. Definitely bathroom break material. 
But yeah, I totally agree with you. I think the broadcasts were nice just because we got to hear the songs in full, um, which you know, we'll talk about this later, but we didn't really get to do that with uh, Eurovision, Europe, Shine a Light. Um, I love the fan recaps. I thought they were just so fun and, you know, really showcases just how like into Eurovision the fandom is. Like, uh, I almost regret not sending one in. <laughs> Same. So do I. So... I thought it was really cute. I mean, honestly, we got bombarded with so much content over the past like week and a half <laughs> that I was just starting to get a little fatigued <laughs> with all the content. And I feel like I'm mixing them together. And I'm like, wait, is this the okay? They showed the full song. Okay. So I'm pretty sure I'm thinking of the right one. This wasn't the Swedish one. Was it the Swedish one? Stuff was going on in the UK. I'm just. It's all jumbled in my mind right now, to be honest. But yeah, I mean, I thought that it was good. I would have honestly liked to see, I know they did the, like the Eurovision from home edition where people could do their songs, but I thought that this was a unique opportunity or at least even some of the later editions to have them all do it live because we haven't like seen all of them live uh so i think that that was a bit of a missed opportunity but yeah i thought it was good there was one weird thing to me that the our hostess was not one of our three or four announced hosts for the actual broadcast and i thought that was really odd and i didn't really understand why she was the one there presenting the songs to us and i don't know why that that bugged me for both episodes that there was just this random woman who we had no idea who she was I thought at first that she was Chantal, but I quickly realized that that was not the case. And I just was very weirded out by that. Did we ever figure out who she was? I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she's some, some local uh, newscaster or presenter or something like that, that they just pulled in um, or someone from the EBU team, honestly. But, the, but then why not bring in, I can't remember his name, but the guy who does all of their online stuff anyway, who I think is from Portugal. But he uh, narrates yeah. all of the videos. Every oh, guy with the voice. The guy with the voice. <laughs> I don't know maybe, why you would maybe, just use him. Maybe he was busy. <laughs> all right, any yeah. thoughts? Yeah, I don't really have much to add because as I think we'll discuss shortly, I made the really poor choice because I was busy with work and couldn't take a week of vacation like Max did. Um, <laughs> then I was like, oh, like the semifinals will just be like showing the music videos. Like I'll wait for the grand final, the grand final, quote unquote, like you're up shine a light. And in retrospect, I feel like the semifinal shows were really more like for the fans, like for the fandom, whereas you're up shine a light was like for the broader European audience. So, I mean, now, like, like the reveal of, like, Solove closing out the one semifinal and Still Breathing closing out the other one what was really exciting, and that got me, like, really into it. And I totally agree with everyone. Like, I fully expected to, like, hate the fan YouTuber dancing videos. And I think it was, like, the most joyful thing of the week. Like, it was so nice to see, like, people dancing, like, people in costume, people just, like, being really silly about it and, like, not thinking about coronavirus for... 10, 15 minutes, whatever it was. So yeah, I feel like that's most of what I have to say. I mean, that's a good segue into, let's just, the mood of Eurovision Europe shine a light. Uh, so as I'm sure you all know and watched, you know, uh, the EBU put on a special Eurovision show that wasn't Eurovision, it wasn't a competition. 
but they, you know, had, you know, act, previous, acts from previous Eurovisions sing songs and showed clips of the 2020 entries with, uh, you know, special messages. It's all very somber. <laughs> what did you guys think? Yeah, I've been trying to think about what I would say for this. And now I'm kind of glad I'm going first because I feel like everything will just be repeated. But yeah, I mean, I just feel like the real contradiction for me was they had Bjorn from ABBA on and he gave like this pretty touching speech that was like, Europe is so joyful and we're supposed to like forget about the world and celebrate. And I feel like that's not what the broadcast was. Like, and there were really beautiful moments in the broadcast, like the video, like Moli Fam, Empty Streets of Belgrade, and the video of Jerusalem, like some of the montages of all the empty city streets, like they're very tear-jerking. And I mean, I love Mons, I'll listen to Heroes all the time, like even though like I really should have seen that one coming. I feel like a failure for not predicting they would have like shots of PPE clad nurses to Mons singing Heroes. But I feel like for me, and again, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to trash it too much. I think it did have some nice moments, but I feel like for me, the one disappointment was like a day before it kind of quote unquote leaked like Diodato's performance in the Verona arena. And like, if you haven't watched it yet, like pause the podcast and go watch that. Cause it is like beauty. Like that for me is like perfect. And I, that leaked and I was like, oh my God, like if they have these like secret performances of of like Eurovision stars, like singing their songs in staging like this, like this is going to blow us all out of the water. And then they didn't do that. And then they didn't even give us all of Diodato's performance. They gave us like 30 seconds of it followed by Chains on You, which was like the biggest emotional whiplash I think I've ever experienced. So yeah, I mean, in retrospect, I definitely just wanted Europe Shine a Light to be the Eurovision home concerts. So I'm glad that we have the Eurovision home concerts separately. But I mean, I still haven't heard all of my love live, which is all I really wanted. So there was no way for me to walk away fully satisfied. So I think like one thing that I loved about it, and this is clearly a glitch, but I guess they didn't give all of the participants like the same or like super clear information like you could tell that they were pre-recorded but that they were going for this vibe that it was supposed to seem live and I can't remember exactly what artist it was but I think there were like two or three cases where they were like on this day May 16th and I was like why are you saying it's May 16th like clearly you recorded this like weeks ago (laughs) But I I thought it was it was really cute to also just see them in their natural habitat and some of them like um, uh, San Marino I guess confirming right then and there that they were going to be participating next year like there were some nice golden nuggets that I really appreciated and it didn't seem super brushed up either like you could tell some other footage from like some other artists apartments were like not very great. Um, but that everyone was just kind of trying to do their best. And I kind of like that organic feel. Um, my favorite part was when they like shone a light on like all the like, um, like renowned structures or whatever in the countries. But I was really upset that they then chose the little mermaid for Denmark because I was like, it's a building in like every other instance. And here you choose like sad ass statue. It's like, 
this big, <laughs> super melancholy. <laughs> I was not about that. But we all know Copenhagen has no other landmarks, Alex. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, all we have is that pathetic ass mermaid. But you know, it's fine. I'm over it. It's cool. Um, yeah, but I thought it was cute. And my my big uh, sort of takeaway first, I really liked the sort of somber feeling. To me, that was sort of what you needed to do to to acknowledge the sadness that we're not getting Eurovision, not to mention all of the other stuff that's sad. Um, I So I appreciated that a lot. I do really wish that we'd gotten some more live performances of some kind, but I, I was really just mostly impressed with the, the hosts. They felt far more natural than any of the hosts since I would say 2015. They were probably the last ones I actually liked. Um, that's not true. Petra and Mons are great, but they don't count. They're separate. So I, I really, really appreciated that. And I'm glad that we got the the reveal of Rotterdam 2021 at the end. I think we all sort of expected that that was coming, but to make it official and make it part of closing out this year and that the contest is happening one way or another next year. I thought that was really, really excellent. Yeah, I feel like that was like the whole reason why they even had the broadcast was just to confirm that we were actually going back you know, next year, because, you know, I, I want to be like Bart, I don't want to trash this show. But like, I feel like there was a way that they, we could have gone about this in just a different format, like bring back the the um, song switch challenge and have the Eurovision 2020 acts do other people's songs live, or even do that with, you know, other former Eurovision alumni some way. And like, I, I just wish that there would have been these somber moments, but an emotional uplift of being like, okay, so we had this moment and now we're all sad and we're feeling our feels. Now we're going to move on to, you know, Mons singing heroes in the actual track that it's supposed to be in, or we're going to move over to, like Alexander Reback, who's going to perform only teardrops. Like there was a way that we could have made this slightly more hopeful because I feel like this show was really branded incorrectly. Um, it was branded in a way that it was supposed to be like this, this very uplifting show for, for the viewers and to kind of like, you know, close the book on 2020. And I feel like what all the only thing that it did was remind us for two hours of kind of just the situation that we're in. So I think that they just didn't find that perfect balance between uplifting and like remembering and, and kind of acknowledging. Because honestly, I felt a little drained yesterday. Um, I did drink two full glasses of wine. So I was a little wine tipsy when the show was going on, but I was mostly drinking because of how sad it was <laughs> like to forget. Um, the worst part about this show though was the ending. So the the Love Shine a Light, like, ending moment and i loved that part i hated the drama that comes after it because hoover phonic didn't participate just because they don't like the song that's the whole reason that they weren't there um they went on a they did like an interview online or something or on a for a tv uh newscaster that was basically like yeah we don't like this song so we chose not to do it and i'm like why like why are you here why are you taking up space but that's really the big negative is um, I'm kind of over them. I fully agree with you. Cancel Hoover Phonic. Like, screw that. Like, that's <laughs> that's really rude of them. But so yeah, as a show as a whole, I definitely agree with you, Connor. Like, it is it hit some like you know some appropriately somber notes every now and then. But I just really wish they had you know 
made it like a real celebration, kind of like they advertised. Like I just, I was really in my feels for those two whole hours that culminated in, you know, the Love Shine a Light medley and that like, I, I straight sobbed for three minutes. Like it was just like a culmination of like all of like the emotion I've been feeling like the last three months. Uh, I was not even wine drunk. And then I made the mistake of watching the Fire de More performance right after that. And it was just, that was a horrible mistake. Just pure emotional masochism at that point. I... <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I did that. But yeah, no, I still, so like, yeah, those parts I, I liked. I just, like you said, I wish they had really just done something a little bit more beat, like had some like more dancey something, you know, something to just like, maybe get us off of our couches or beds or wherever we were watching to just like actually celebrate a little more. And I was in full Eurovision regalia. Like I had my scarf from Lisbon, my like weird EBU merch that I have from last year's viewing party was ready. And then this kind of just like sitting on my bed and crying was not really what I wanted to do. So one thing that like I wanted to add was um, I so I was stretching when it was happening. Uh, I got like this new bowl. Anyways, I was like working on my back, and when they announced the new theme, like how it's so not subtle, just very straightforward, like open up. And they were like talking about the many ways they meant open up, and it was like we all just know what you mean. Like you just want <laughs> to make sure that this Eurovision like twenty twenty one. Like, you want society to open up so we can have another Eurovision. It's, like, very unsubtle, very straightforward, very Dutch. I kind of, I love that. I mean, ironically, that was the actual theme for this year. And then everything closed. (laughs) Makes sense to, you know, uh, transfer it to next year when hopefully everything will actually be open. I truly wonder if they regret having that theme. Like, in hindsight, like, I wonder if they're like, oh, that shouldn't have been the theme we went with. Hindsight is always 2020, right? <laughs> I think well, they already regretted it for the gay jokes that came after it. And then it was just, like, even more problematic. <laughs> um, the one thing I want to say that I feel like is really the underrated champion of the broadcast, though, was Tom Lieb trying to pick up Ulrika, like, via FaceTime. Because that was the most joyous moment of the broadcast. And that is what I want more of, like, hot Eurovision stars (laughs) trying to bang, which I know isn't really, like, somber and, like, super COVID-appropriate, but, like, it brought a huge smile to my face. So I want to shout out that moment. I mean, from the Eurovision Village into the Olympic Village. (laughs) Someone brought like a computer with Tom Lieb on it to like have him come hit on me. Like, I'd be for it. (laughs) (laughs) Then again, I feel like it's it's unfair because you know, like there are only a number of Eurovision contestants in which I would find that appropriate. Um, (laughs) There are a lot where I'd be like. Aren't there boundaries here? I don't know. <laughs> Are you saying you don't want a video from Tornike Kipiani professing his love for you? He's so scary. No <laughs> He's so scary. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I feel like this is something that they're doing. They're going to start doing every year because last year they asked uh, at the 2019 contest, who was your Eurovision crush? Like that was one of those like extra contents for the YouTube channel. And like everyone was like, oh, I don't know this person. I don't know this person. And then Panda's just like, Victor Crone, let's go. So I feel like maybe this is just like a returning thing where they're just, I don't know if this is like a like a producer, like let's push something or if there's actually something between these two. Like, we, we obviously will never know. 
I think it's so funny. It's with her because her YouTube channel, she's doing YouTube right now during during quarantine uh, with her manager, who's also her best friend, who's also her gay best friend. And so every video, they clarify that they live together, but they don't share a bed because everyone thinks that they're dating. <laughs> Goals. <laughs> yeah. Um, was it, I think it was in their call with uh, Nikki Tutorials, but I think also the, like with the mamas, the, the one thing that made me lose like a little bit of respect was one of them was just like, yeah, I had like a huge crush on Lake Malawi last year. No, <laughs> why? <laughs> I mean, Albert's a handsome guy. You just get such creeper vibes just, from him. I don't know why. I feel like I feel like I maybe thought that like the first time I saw the video, but then my hate just grew and grew and grew that now I see them and all I see is like anger <laughs> and frustration. And yeah, we notoriously hate them, them on this podcast. <laughs> That's okay. Adam's the only person I think who actually likes Lucy, so Dude, it's so good. That was a terrible song. What are you talking about? It now? was better than Empires. It is not. <laughs> Empires is so bad. But Alicia is wonderful. And she gets, I don't know if she gets to come back with a song next year, but hopefully she does. She I, is okay. absolutely wonderful, but. Bolin does not have the money to do that whole contest over again. They are for sure like stripping her back. What are you talking about? They just, they just had a three hour karaoke show. That's not that expensive. They have to pay for the rights to the Beatles song, or are they in public domain now? I don't know. Uh, I mean, we could not do that again. That would be <laughs> fine. All you got to do is just rent out a karaoke machine. You don't got to get the rights to the songs. You spend $10 on that show. <laughs> and they don't want to spend that $10 again. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. So... Yeah, we had the EBU broadcasts, uh, but there were also a bunch of other things going on. Um, so a bunch of countries had their own kind of like little mini national contests uh, to pick who they would give their 12 points to. The BBC did like a whole day's worth of Eurovision stuff. So I think we all we all watched a bunch of different stuff. So what were some what were some of your guys highlights from the week um, outside of the sort of official EBU stuff? Uh, well, so I can start with this one. So I watched Sweden because I, I understand Swedish. So um, they had two sections. First, they showed all the videos in, and this is probably what fatigued me when it then came to the EPU stuff later. But first they did a um, like fans react kind of video to all of the songs. Um, so they showed tw the 25 top ones that the audience had picked and they had like their most common Eurovisioneers or whatever you would call them, kind of provide commentary on them. Um, the commentary was pretty great. Um, I found out that uh, one of the top pieces of slang in Sweden right now is to say that something is super cheese. So carrying that one with me. Um, <laughs> so I watched that and then it rolled into like the next episode of it, which was 12A, um, was Sweden essentially re-showing those videos, um, having small performances on the side and then sh like revealing that the audience had like selected their top choice, their top choice being Iceland. Alex well, I also watched the Swedish show. It was a it was a good show. There was a lot of they had daughter uh, open the show and reveal the votes, and 
that was really cool. She sang a version of Arcade that was special and unique. Um, it was not bad. It was just only daughter could perform that. And then we got to see the Mamas and their new single as well. And that was really, if you want to joyous, that was joyous. Watching them sing Let It Be was fantastic. Agreed. I watched it too and I loved it. Also, I gotta say, like, I, now that Bulletproof wasn't competing with the Mamas, like it wasn't standing in the way of their, you know, potential victory, like I like it a lot more. <laughs> I definitely felt the same way. <laughs> I will jump in. Um, so I didn't really watch all of the BBC uh, broadcast. I did watch like the tail half of it. So I got really confused on what was happening. But I think it was a it was good to see a mix of Eurovision entries because what I was really afraid of was that it was just going to be a bunch of songs from 2010 kind of forward. And so <clears throat> when I was watching like the recap and they're like, and now we're going to Volare. And I was like, wow, we're going to go all the way back to 1958. Like, wow, whoever did this running order has taste. Um, which I know Volari is a very popular song, but like still I, just that like whiplash of going from the modern era all the way back to the first five years and then all the way back over was interesting. Um, I didn't actually watch the SBS show. Um, I've seen a lot of coverage about it on Twitter. So because it's technically not available on demand outside of Australia, so can't really watch it. Um, but they did reveal Montaigne's like staging concept. And I think um, Adam and I have talked about this a lot on our podcast for Australia, but um, this song definitely was going to get the Kate Miller Heidke treatment where there were a lot of people who were like, this song's okay. I don't really like it. You know, I think it's not going to qualify. And then with that staging that they had planned would have just catapulted it forward into, I think, another top, I'd say left-hand placement. I don't know if I'd say top 10, but um, I think that SBS had the right momentum for a Eurovision show. And I think based off of the commentary and based off of what they were posting as well on Twitter, I think that that would have been a better show to have watched than the Europe Shine a Light broadcast. Definitely agree. Like a lot of the shows that that I watched, particularly the BBC one, they all hit the the notes I was hoping that Eurovision China Light would hit. Like it was like a nice joyous celebration. Like yes, acknowledging that the contest canceled and that you know the world's going to shit, but also like here's like a bunch of fun shit that makes Eurovision just amazing, right? I enjoyed Eurovision come together on the BBC. I thought that was like a, a cool selection of shot songs where they chose sort of the best ever, and which uh, of course was Waterloo. But uh, apparently Rise of the Great Phoenix came in second above Euphoria. I was actually really surprised about that. They also had um, a version of their show Pointless uh, with Eurovision people. So it had like Eve Cavanaugh, Jan Lindvik, Mons, um, uh, Jay Buin, Bucks Fizz, and uh, Donna and Suri. Uh, just all competing in like a like a dumb game show, but you know that's kind of fun. That's a cool context I haven't really seen Eurovision people in before. Uh, so it's just kind of a nice like change from the rest of it. Like it wasn't strictly Eurovision content, but it was like semi-related, which I enjoyed. And then they had the A to Z of Eurovision, which I thought was just like a lovely little like thing that I watched um, after Europe Shine a Light that like really sort of helped me come out of that emotional hole that I was in. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I kind of just watched like bits and pieces of things um, that like weren't VPN blocked um, or like nationality blocked. I mean, 
there's all these rumors on Twitter on why the EBU couldn't do certain things in their show, like voting or like, I understand they can't really like pick favorites among countries. So I feel like the national broadcasts really have the advantage of being able to just play favorites as much as they wanted. Um, so I mean, what, I, what everyone really wanted was like to see what the real stagings would have been like and to know who would have won. So like kind of based on the national voting, it seems like Iceland was definitely a big favorite, which um, we kind of predicted here, which is good to see. I agree, Montaigne staging like was so, so much better than the national final and was like really good to see. Um, but knowledge in Germany's what? Can you explain it a little bit more? Because I was one of those people who really, really didn't like the national final staging, and I didn't see the like what the new staging was for Montaigne. Oh, I mean, her her staging is kind of like a ripoff of Heroes and Hear Them Calling by Greta Salome. But all of that aside, it's like the big no one on the podcast can see, but they have like big cartoon hands that's like pushing her around. And she does have like very interpretive dancing to it. But when there's not like 10 interpretive dancers, it's just her, it looks a lot better. Yeah, and the staging was, I mean, uh, it was to tell the emotional story of being like trapped in a relationship, um, Mm -hmm. especially an abusive relationship. And I think the national final staging tried to show that like through the dancers. And I think that that was a good medium that Montaigne envisioned. Um, I think that the actual like SBS broadcaster and the stage director really brought that into the fold. So like, it's very obvious. And there's a part um, in the the last chorus where she has a hammer and she smashes the ground and she just breaks free from this person that's, you know, holding her down. And she's so much more free and happy. And the stage switches from like dark colors to bright neons. And so like, I think that this was, I mean, you you brought up like Mons. Um, I think that this was a better storytelling than what Mons did, because that was just showy. That was just, look what Sweden can do. I think this was, we want to clue you in on, on this song. Like, what is the meaning behind this song? Um, Alex, I will send you a the snapshot I have from Twitter to kind of show you what the staging looks like because I think you'll be impressed. Sounds good. It's also a little bit reminiscent if you saw uh, Ben Dulwich's performance uh, on Shine a Light where he had the like 3D hands or whatever behind him. Very similar. Weirdly similar. <laughs> Speaking of Ben Dulwich, having seen his like questionable staging mock-up like that was a fucking disaster so I'm glad that that was never showed that like falsetto is horrible like these people just like show up dancing out of nowhere which I guess is kind of joyful but like seeing it in an empty theater just looks like really bizarre so yeah me and Max have a lot of thoughts on how he's gonna have to send like a sad boy anthem next year that we will definitely shit on for not being as good as violent thing (laughs) it'll probably be better for him the camera work was really good though I will give him that they they did that camera work really really well really really smart so it was technically very good but poor Ben has just like no presence and it was all like his moves are very wooden so you know maybe you know he either needs a sad boy anthem that we're all gonna shit on or he needs like a haircut and some dance lessons it's it's weird that he had no energy because i watched all of his performances on the voice of germany and he's fantastic he had like stage presence and he moved a little bit he had super long hair looks like a totally different person something has happened between when he came in second there and when he started with eurovision and he's turned into pinocchio 
Like it's he's he's done a reverse Pinocchio because it it went from like engaging to that. What if he just does a like violent thing? Could be. I was just gonna say that um the Australian singing We Got Love was like the note that I wanted. Like that's first of all a great underrated song, but also like seeing all of them like together singing an uplifting song, like in their houses like the Aussies definitely did this right um and they need their championship in the next like five years I'll throw it out there and they they also brought uh Courtney Act in so they brought it you know they brought in non-Australian Eurovision participants they brought in people from the actual um, Australia Decide show um which I mean you bring Courtney Act into anything you're going to get a very broad broad viewership so um they really played it smart with their show it's SBS. We're not shocked. They're there. They're pretty good at this Eurovision thing. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think, like I said, I think SBS did this, what Eurovision week was supposed to be emotionally. Right. I think the EBU tried. I don't think that they made the mark. Exactly. I mean, one thing that I'd say is, and uh, this kind of goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, like everyone was doing something. So I feel like, it would have been extremely hard, if not kind of impossible for the EBU to kind of top it because everyone, you know, like there were already so many broadcasts set up to do something that by the time that, especially people like us who watch Eurovision and who are interested, by the time we get to it, it's like, oh, you're doing, you know, either it would have been a copycat of what other broadcasters have done, or it just wouldn't have been like very good at least that's kind of the perception that I've been having so I think that in the end like if we look at the full package of experiences that we got from this like I'd say we were pretty lucky did pretty good I definitely agree like there's we, we there's no like good reason we should have gotten so much good content and we did so overall I'm like very thankful the one other thing I did watch a little bit of that I have thoughts on was the Free European song contest that Prozeben, the German channel, did. That shit was weird. Like it was, it was supposed to be like an alternative Eurovision with like different acts representing a total of like fifteen different countries, and they had some like some big names in there, like Ilse de Lange, who is um, part of you know, one half of the Common Linnets from the Netherlands, and some others. But it was weird. Like uh, most of the acts participating for like other countries, quote unquote or just Germans with quote-unquote roots in those countries. And it's, like, very jarring to hear, like, the Croatian entry sing in German, which, like, I was, like, a little jarred by that, but then thinking about how, like, 90% of Eurovision songs are in English, so, like, okay, I get it, like, play to your audience, but it was all very weird. The weirdest part was that the 16th contestant was representing the moon and came Was it Slavko? I wish. Slavko. <laughs> okay. Another highlight of this whole, whole thing. Slavko at the Wee Wee Jam singing Space in a Tree. The best moment of 2020. And stop. Gotta love that man. <laughs> okay, so clearly we had a really content-filled Eurovision week. Now it is time for us to choose our own winner. And so thank you very much to everyone who joined us in our Star Spangled Jury. We had uh, 22 of you fans and friends, you know, give us your 12 points. And so a little different than we did it last year. This year, we're going to do it a little more like uh, the official system. 
And so the five of us will be the quote unquote expert jury. Uh, we'll be making up 50% of the score while all you lovely participants will be the tell the vote, uh, making up the other 50% of the score. So let's start with a quick reveal of who we all gave our top 10 to as the, again, expert jury. Connor, you wanna start? Sure. Um, before I begin, my taste is very adjacent to the Eurovision fandom. So sorry about that. But um, I gave my one point over to Russia. I gave two points over to Malta. Um, three points over to Germany with Violent Thing. My four points were for Australia, five for Bulgaria, six for Sweden, because I love the mamas, um, seven, seven points for Romania, eight points for Finland, 10 points for Ukraine, and 12 points for just a lovely, lovely human being that is Leslie Roy. Wow. Ireland getting 12 points. Who I know. Shocking, isn't it? <laughs> Her uh, outfits in the EPU special, I was like, damn, your style is awesome. I was going to say, hearing her Irish accent was like really lovely. It's like, oh, something so beautiful. All right, Adam, you're at 10 or 12 points. Yeah, I also feel like I need to preface mine in saying that mine changes literally every time I do this. So this 12 that I gave to you guys is a little bit different from what I've done before. But I gave my one point to Croatia, uh, two points to Iceland, three to Australia, four to Germany, five to Ireland, six points to Norway, seven to Sweden, eight to Spain, 10 to the UK, and my 12 points goes to Malta. Okay, so what I love about your list is love for Spain, because I feel like Spain, like maybe it's because it's one of the first songs that came out, it just does not get enough love. Yeah, it's been shit on in all of these fan juries. And it's not fair, like his voice is incredible. Not fair at all. I mean, it also came, I think last place, uh, whatever, it came last place in our grand final as well, and I'm not okay with that. I mean, I, like, I, I didn't give it it was very close to getting points but i do actually like the song like i listened to it so yes. i don't understand my own internal thinking there. <laughs> let's just pretend it's 11th on everyone's list right exactly <laughs> all right bart you want to give your 10 point or 12 points yeah i was gonna say for underappreciated songs is a bit of a spoiler i think there were a few songs that ended up getting no points from us or our like fan televotes and one is portugal which like I feel a little bad about. So I want to give like an honorary point to Medicine Tear because it is really beautiful. Um, but like not an actual point because I didn't know that when I submitted my picks to Max. Um, but I gave one point to Azerbaijan, two to Serbia, um, Asa La Vista, three to San Marino, because you gotta love Senit, um, four to the Netherlands, five to Israel, six to Sweden, seven to Ukraine. And then, I mean, I think, as I mentioned before, for me, there was a way that really distinguishable top three um, that I kind of had to pick for a few different reasons. Um, eight points to Germany, Violent Thing, still one of the best songs I think recorded, would have been so, so bad live, which puts it below the other ones for me. Um, 10 points to Iceland, still think I probably would have won, just so charming. And finally, 12 to Destiny, um, Malta gets my douze point, just perfection all right alex you're a top 10 
Okay, can I preface this with, and this is kind of similar to Adam, uh, I submitted my points like seven times to Max, so there is a record of me constantly changing my mind on this, and looking at this one that I like have in front of me now, I'm really upset <laughs> by some of the artists that aren't there, but I can only have 12 songs, so that's how it's going to go. One point, <laughs> I'm horrible, one point to Italy. Two points to Russia, three points to San Marino, four points to the Czech Republic, because, you know, no one else put Benny on there. Um, five points to Germany, six points to Sweden, seven points to the Netherlands, um, eight points to Lithuania, ten points to Malta, and 12 to Iceland. And then I, I will also preface that I, since watching some of the other stuff, I would have changed my... 12 point or in my top 10 if I had been, uh, you know, doing it this minute. But since we had to submit these last week for calculations, they're locked in. I'm not unhappy with this. Anyway, one point to San Marino, two points to Iceland, three points to Sweden, uh, four points to the Netherlands, five points to Russia, six points to Israel, seven points to Malta, eight points to Ukraine. 10 points to Germany, and my deuce point go to Azerbaijan. So the final jury points are as follows. So we have 10 points to the UK, 11 points to Israel, 13 points to Azerbaijan, 15 points go to the Netherlands, 17 points go to Ireland, uh, 25 points go to Ukraine, 26 points go to Iceland, Third place, 28 points, is Sweden. Second place with the jury with 30 points is Germany. And the winner of the jury vote for the Star Spangled Jury is Malta with 43 points. Okay, now the televote. Adam, will you do the honors? All right, and for the televote, Azerbaijan had 11 points. Switzerland came in with 12. Italy got 14, as well as Ukraine with 14. Russia got 16. Israel got 19. Lithuania got 20. And the top three, Sweden took 24 points. Malta also had 24. And Iceland came out on top with 34. And that means if we're combining the two scores, in 10th place, we have the Netherlands with a total of 22 points. Uh, ninth place, Azerbaijan with 24 points. Eighth place with Russia, with um, also with 24 points. Uh, Russia above Azerbaijan because they got more televotes. In seventh place, Lithuania with 28 points. In sixth place, Israel with 30 points. In fifth place, Germany with 38 points. Fourth place, Ukraine with 39 points. In third place, we have... Sweden with the Mamas, 52 points. In second place, drumroll, we have Iceland, 60 points. And our winner, Malta with 67 points. So congratulations, Destiny. You are the totally, definitely legit official winner of Eurovision 2020. <laughs>
clarify that although I threatened to <laughs> um, manipulate the votes, if I did not get the desired outcome I wanted, I did not manipulate the votes. And I still got the outcome I wanted. So I'm very, very happy. Thank you all. And, and for accountability's sake, I will release an anonymized version of the spreadsheet and the scoreboard for you all to peruse because just to make sure that all of your points were counted correctly. If it's anonymized, you can have messed around with the numbers. Uh, but the people who voted can confirm that they that their points were counted correctly. You know? We'll just give everyone the phone numbers of our friends so they can call them and confirm the point totals they gave. <laughs> you really want to do transparency. Everyone be a Jan Olasand and, and confirm the results are valid. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't help. <laughs> oh, I feel like I should have done a take it away before I gave it to the <laughs> total to you. <laughs> and the best news is that she's officially confirmed to come back in 2021. So I mostly look forward to seeing the beautiful would have been stage adaptation of All of My Love when Destiny opens Valletta 2022. And we'll see you in Valletta 2022. Exactly. Are there gay bars there? Unclear. <laughs> pop up gay bars. There probably will be a lot be. of pop ups. <laughs> Every bar will be a gay bar. <laughs> That's what happens at Eurovision, right? Yeah, you're not wrong. All right. Well, thank you so much to Connor and Adam from Eurovision for joining us for this final discussion of the season. You guys want to do a quick plug for your podcast? Yeah, uh, you can find us at Amerivision on all of your favorite platforms. We're also on Twitter at Amerivision, uh, and we encourage folks to, to reach out to us. We're both constantly on Twitter and tweeting about Eurovision things. So find us there. And please come back. Yeah. And we're going to have you guys on an episode coming up soon of our Every Eurovision Ever. And we're looking forward to that. Yeah, we're excited about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you guys again for joining. This was super fun. All right. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye, guys. (laughs) Well, that was a whole lot of fun. We should have more guests. (laughs) I know. Um, So wrap up. Should we go around? What are everyone's final thoughts on the season? Can Max get through it without crying? That's the question. The answer is no. It's been it's been such a journey. Um, and I hope that we can continue to have some Eurovision content throughout the rest of the year. I hope Eurovision again keeps going. So Rob Holly, if you are listening, make it happen. I want it 52 weeks of the year until we've covered every single contest. Yeah, it's sad to say goodbye to this season, but I'm excited for Rada in 2020 or 2021. It's it's been a really good year. I think we discussed this on the podcast that like these are all really good songs. Like it was really hard to choose a top 10. Like there was you know, obviously there were some duds like there are every year, but uh, we had a really good crop of songs and obviously very sad that they didn't get to perform and have their sort of 15 minutes of fame. But I think the all the broadcasters and the fandom really, you know, did good by these artists. Um, I was even listening to uh, a podcast, Switched on Pop, which is like one of my favorite podcasts about pop music in general. They did a whole Eurovision episode, just giving giving the artists a you know a good platform and showing off their songs. And that's like a really well listened to podcast, like with a big audience. So, you know, I think a lot of these artists are getting what they deserve, um, and a lot of them are coming back for next year. So I'm really excited. I think that yeah, this year has definitely been really great. And as someone who you know used to watch Eurovision as a kid and um, was now like rewatching some of those episodes um, leading up to you know this Eurovision week, which was absolutely amazing, like getting to rewatch with with the fandom. 
um, has definitely been interesting. It's also just shown the progression of how I think your your vision music is uh, accelerating um, in terms of catching up with the time. Um, and this year really demonstrated it in that the music that came out this year is stuff that I really want to listen to all the time. Um, and I think that that has in some cases been the same in previous years, but only a few songs. Um, and this time it's been a lot more and it's come from maybe some unexpected countries. So definitely people are picking up on that, but they're still maintaining kind of that cultural heritage in a lot of it, which is really nice. So I thought that in the end, like now that it's all over, it was jumbled. It was a bit of a mess. You know, you could see that people were kind of hanging by hair trying to make it happen. And that just made me love it all the more. You could tell that people understood kind of the importance of Eurovision, but staying at home and still having that content. And I just really appreciated the people who were working so hard to give us some kind of experience. Um, I thought that it made it even more valuable or yeah, valuable. Um, and it just really makes me actually, I never thought I'd say this, but maybe go to Rotterdam next year and actually, see uh -huh. um, I think I, I'm convinced now, like the type of unity and, um, love that we've kind of felt over the internet in such a time period that's so hard, um, for some of us is really something that I didn't think that you could kind of get those feelings especially from things that aren't really that well produced but I feel like they managed to bring it all together and the beauty of your vision is that it is kind of corny and it is kind of like patchwork at times like the jokes that the hosts make never land like that's the whole point of it and they brought that feeling online where you're like oh god but yeah that's kind of amazing um so kudos to everyone uh thank you for giving us that content and I hope that if you guys haven't watched it, you know, it's memorialized online and hopefully you'll get to watch it again. Yeah, um, I guess I'm gonna put down like the hot take facade for a little bit. I don't wanna be too like, the real treasure is the friends we made along the way <laughs> about like this year of Eurovision. But I mean, thinking through it, I mean, I feel like as per every year, like after like listening to these 40 songs for like four months, they've all grown on me way more than I thought they would at the very beginning. And I was actually listening to some past years kind of like in my Eurovision mood. And I feel like there were less songs this year that we like really actively hated than last year. Like, like some like Lake Malawi and other things came on and I was like, wow, like I really despise this. And I don't have that same feeling about songs this year. Um, but no, I mean, I feel like in a way, like kind of obviously today we're talking about how Europe shine a light didn't really meet all of our expectations. And I feel like part of that really was like because the fandom and like even the EBU like did so much that was purely fan focused that like even if like the main event didn't really live those expectations, we have so much content that met all of those needs. Whether or not it was like Eurovision again, which like really brought people together so much and like made me excited every weekend to like, what's up with Max and Alex, like talk about things. And then, I mean, some of those home concerts were just so great. Like for me, like Goa and like the empty parking lot singing Solove and then dancing Lasha Tumbai is like so iconic. Um, the most joy that like, I feel like I wish was in Europe Channel Light was Sunny singing 
freaky, like with like bizarre, crazy, like effects that were maybe done in Microsoft Paint or something, but like still looked good. And with like fan dancing videos, like it just made me so happy. And it really did kind of remind me that like, you know, sometimes like the main event doesn't always live up to it, but it really is like that community and that like happiness and like all of that, like other peripheral stuff that really is what kind of makes your vision so special. So it's like even without Eurovision this year, I really feel like a lot more tied into the community than I was in the past. And I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, I want to echo that because like the fandom has really made this week truly wonderful. And like these actually these last few months, because like ever since we found out the contest was canceled, like obviously we're all very sad, but the solidarity among the Eurovision fans was just like truly, truly unbelievable. Like what a community you guys like I just for anyone listening just like thank you like it's I don't know like just tweeting along with you guys engaging with you guys like laughing crying like it was all like it would not have been even remotely the same without it like imagine like I can't even imagine if I just just sat down for this week and watched like the two semifinals and like and like or the Eurovision channel I think like it would have been not nearly the same experience I think we had throughout the throughout the season so, you know, silver lining to the whole thing being canceled is that I think the fandom together has kind of grown closer. You know, we had a lot of, there was just like a lot of love and solidarity between everyone. And like, you guys really came through. It was awesome. I think like the final thing I'd say is just like, I think that this goes to show that Eurovision isn't just about the music. It isn't just about the stage. It isn't just about the night. Like it's about the, community of people who you know take pride in a song you know may be from their country or not from their country and sharing that with each other and you know there are not a lot of successful instances where the world can kind of come together I mean I think that it works very well with sports but not so well with other things and now this is kind of a really good way to show that it can also do that through music. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like so much of that Eurovision week is always like the surprises, like which staging really exceeds your expectations, which one doesn't, like what are those kind of like moments? And I feel like this year, like the surprise and the moments were in like that fan-generated content and like the fans coming together. So um, I never thought we'd be the people who would like (laughs) pour over national finals and like cling onto those loyalties and stuff. But I think now we've officially like sunk into the abyss of being Eurovision obsessives. I'm not mad about it. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the qualifications for having a podcast, right? Like, we kind of have to. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, I kind of feel like I reached that um, like before this whole COVID thing even happened uh, when we were watching the Ukraine national final and the vegan song came on. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. I think that this is something that I need to like incorporate into my life. Like <laughs> just need to inject that into the stream. <laughs> because obviously like those songs aren't going to win, but like what a fun context to think of not just Goa as like the winner of the Ukrainian national final, but like what they actually had to compete against <laughs> to get to where they are. Like it kind of makes that song more special and have like more backstory, especially TB- when you don't know the language. TBT to Katya Chile. <laughs> <laughs> maybe gonna heal us all and maybe cursed all of us. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm clear. laughs>
my God. <laughs> oh, that was truly a terrifying experience. Uh, well, on that note, so speaking of fan-generated content, uh, we have decided that we're going to do our own little fan thing. Because uh, I know you guys are all going to miss those Eurovision home concerts that will hopefully come back next year. But we are doing a little thing called the Eurofan home concerts. Uh, and we're really excited. So, you know, you guys have until Tuesday, May 19th, to send us a video of you doing a cover of your favorite Eurovision song. It can be anyone from the 1,500 plus uh, songs, you know, in the Eurovision canon, except for Euphoria, because we're tired of hearing it. That's a rule I would stick to if you send me a cover of Euphoria. Because we don't want to see that shitty content on our feed. You know what? If you can improve on Lake Malawi, go for it. There's no improving. I don't even want to see it. Anyway, (laughs) uh, so you guys can send your submissions uh, by, you know, end of day on Tuesday, May 19th to starspangledeerovision at gmail.com. And we'll be premiering whatever it is that we come up with on May 22nd on Friday um, at... 11 a.m. Eastern, uh, which I believe is 6 or 5 p.m. Central European time, 4 p.m. GMT, whatever it is your timeline or your time zone is. Um, We're really looking forward to seeing what you guys come up with. Um, I have also put it to Twitter to see what cover I should do because I figure like it's only fair at least one of us does something. Um, And you'll see, I have some surprises for you. So, Ukulele. Way to give it away. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> it was a recommendation. Okay. Um, okay. So, well, like, thank you guys for uh, listening. Again, thank you to Bart and Alex also for, you know, being with, you know, doing this all season. It's been a lovely season. So thank you guys. Thank yeah. You. I just want to say thank you to Max for doing like all the actual hard work of this podcast. And not just showing up to like dish some takes and then leave the editing to someone else like me and Alex do. No comment. They come for your takes. <laughs> anyway, uh, so if you want more Eurovision content, you can follow us on Twitter at SSE underscore pod. We'll, we're still going to be doing stuff even, you know, if we're not coming up with new episodes. But we also might have some more content for you. We don't know. If you guys have ideas for episodes that you want to hear things that you want us to do, please send us uh, an email or DM us or whatever. Um, so you can find us on Twitter at SSC underscore pod, on Instagram at Starspangled Eurovision, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Starspangled Eurovision, or send us an email at Starspangled Eurovision at gmail.com. And yeah, we'll see you again in the run up to 2021 or before. Thanks everyone. Bye guys. Wash, wash, wash,